Hello and welcome to Locked On Cavaliers, your daily look at LeBron James and the rest of the always interesting Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Chris Manning, your host from fearthesword.com. That's Estimations Cleveland Cavaliers blog. On today's show, we're discussing the Cavs Celtics series with Jared Weiss. He's a writer at The Athletic. You've heard him on the show before when he used to run the Celtics Wire. He's moved over to The Athletic along with Jay King, the host of Locked On Celtics, and he's doing a lot of really great work over there. Make sure you check out his writing there. But Jared and I discussed the different matchups we're going to see, what Boston brings into the series, and, and how these two teams got here, and how Boston in particular got here without Kyrie Irving and obviously without Gordon Hayward. You can find Jared on Twitter at Jared Weiss NBA. You can make sure you go read his writing at The Athletic. And if you're looking for more insight from the Celtics side of the series, go check out Locked On Celtics, John Corrales, Sam Packard, and Jay King do a great job breaking down that team. And we'll have a podcast up next week with John uh, during that long break in the series to discuss what's what's happened in the first few games. If you aren't already, go on iTunes, subscribe to Locked on Cavs, and leave that five-starting interview, or do that wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back again on Sunday night with a recap of Game 1 and then uh, probably a Facebook Live reaction to that game that night as well to a bunch of podcast content. Uh, but here's today's show with Jared Weiss from The Athletic talking about Cavs Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. You are Locked on Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. First question I have for you is you look at this Boston team, no Gordon Hayward obviously has not played since these two teams played on opening night, and no Kyrie Irving after he had that knee surgery and, and the infection. How did Boston, without probably its best two players, depending on where you put Al Horford in that category, but how did they get here to the Eastern Conference Finals to facing the Cavs again without those two guys? Uh, they got here by, one, having a really well-built roster. Um, you know, coincidentally, it wasn't really any of the moves that they made this offseason that uh, really did it for them, except for, I guess, Tatum, you can count. But it's mostly that they've just, they have a great, they, they draft really well, and they have great player development. And all these guys grow pretty rapidly under Stevens and under the player development team. So you had uh, Rogier, Jalen Brown, Tatum, obviously, having these really effective offseason workout programs where they just added a ton of skill. took them a little while into the season to really find their groove, but they all really bloomed late in the season. Uh, and now they're all playing their best. I mean, all these guys right now are playing the best that they've played in their entire careers. If any little snippet of their careers, they're right now playing at their best. They're peaking at the right time. Boston as a whole is peaking at the right time. And even though they keep losing guys, I mean, Shane Larkin, who's been a pretty valuable deep bench contributor for them at the end of their rotation in the playoffs, he's out for most likely the entire season after he sprained his shoulder running into Mountain Embiid late in the Philly series. And that's going to hurt them a little bit in the series. But frankly, they have had a successful next man up mentality. And beyond that, it's not just the mentality that's instilled by the coaching staff, but the roster has been built for them to be able to replace whomever goes out. They have gotten pretty much as far as they can on that road so far. So if another one of these rotation players goes down, they don't really have anyone to replace them with except for uh, guys like Yabusele and Nader, guys that don't really play because they're just not quite ready yet. Uh, so they actually don't even have another guard to throw in there now. So they're basically just going with a one-point guard rotation now for the rest of the playoffs. But they um, they built this team to not only take the hits, but to be versatile in who they can throw out there, which I guess is kind of one and the same. But in this case, it's going to be a 
side where, you know, with LeBron, they're going to throw seven different guys at him throughout the series. To me, the two guys that, that have stood out the most in the playoff run, obviously I think Terry Rozier has been incredibly – he's really filled that Kyrie role as best you could have hoped he would. And then you're getting a lot out of Jalen Brown as well. But you look at this team, the, the way they're playing so far in the playoffs, what is this this group with, as you said, the the stripped-down rotation, the, the many guys injured, the, the playing with not necessarily the ideal – guys they, they figured they'd be playing with it when they got to this matchup this season what is this team, this particular group's identity like what what about them just stands out to you on a, on a night-to-night basis aside from the fact that like they, they've played obviously very disciplined basketball and, and they've they've really exceeded I think or maximized what they can actually do with this group I think the thing that's maybe surprised me a little bit is how many scores they have now. I mean, right now they've got five good scores on the team, and that's probably the thing that surprises you, surprises you the most considering Irving went down. And, I, I mean, people outside of Boston keep referring to Hayward being out. So Hayward's been out the whole season. They, they've kind of moved past it at this point. It's really the story that Kyrie is out, and they've done a good job of uh, kind of changing up their offense a little bit to be more reliant on Horford, but even more so just be more reliant on Tatum and Brown and Tatum and Brown have taken on a lot more responsibility in the playoffs they've shown that they're good isolation scorers they're good scorers off the dribble and all these guys can spot up well and to go back to even Rozier, Rozier has kind of emerged into a um, you know, like Damian Lillard light type of player where he just he pulls up everywhere he is shooting lights out uh, he's streaky, which I guess Lillard is too as well. But he's he's turned into an almost you know borderline elite spot up shooter now, and so now they have they can play a five out rotation where every single one of those guys is a really good uh, three point threat, and so they've kind of almost gone back to the offense that they originally designed earlier last season, uh, where they had everybody coming off of DHOs. It all revolves around the point guard handling the ball, but every it's kind of a very egalitarian offense and with Kyrie, when Kyrie was in there it was very much focused on Kyrie and pick and roll isolation and I think they've gone back to the more egalitarian style which is really better overall and I think that's the that's the optimal goal they're trying to reach when everybody's healthy with the system and they're showing now how good it can be last year in the playoffs against Cleveland they tried running that system for they, they were able to pull it off for one game with that incredible game three still one of the best games we've ever seen in person but uh, they just didn't have the firepower last year this year's team actually has a firepower all these guys are good go-to scorers and they're showing it with their numbers so that's what makes them a lot more potent than last year's team that got just eviscerated historically eviscerated by Cleveland yeah so it's, it's interesting that we are here I don't know how you necessarily thought this these playoffs would go I say I think that for me the Cavs have exceeded the expectation I think both these teams have have exceeded expectations to some degree I'm I'm a, I'm it's funny that in two ways that I think we got this matchup again because number one, both these teams had, I think, very data point reasons and fairly logical reasons to say they wouldn't get here. But the Cavs obviously looked a lot better against Toronto, and LeBron has been incredible. Kevin Love has been again incredible. Boston, I you know, took down Philly, took down of um, the Bucks in the first round, and also has done some taken as you point out, has done like some just really really good things and and has maximized itself. And the Cavs to you know haven't necessarily. 
I think, maximize themselves on certain parts of the game, but have, have done a lot of things better than they would. But considering that they both had those weaknesses and also both these teams are, are just went through some things in the regular season, obviously Kyrie not having Kyrie is, is lowers your ceiling, even if there's certain things like you maybe the fork a little bit better without him. Um, Cavs fans will know that that's like a, a, an insane debate, but it, it happens. And you obviously haven't had Gordon Hayward all season. You have not had the, the, the big free agent acquisition all season. I mean, I, I, considering everything for both of these teams, are you like are you like me a little bit surprised that we did get this matchup the second year in a row? And through it all, like, and it, yes, it's, it's going to look differently. Both teams are very different, and they're probably both they're very different from when they played in February the last time these two teams played. But I mean, are you surprised that we were getting this matchup again? I, I would have. I mean, if you asked me this question on October seventeenth after Hayward went down, I would say yeah. But entering the playoffs, no, I'm not surprised uh, since. Since Boston didn't have the matchup against Toronto, which I guess is a, is a false flag now because it turns out Toronto wasn't going to be ready to advance anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I thought Philly was going to win that last series coming into it, and I was just kind of blown away. I mean, wasn't surprised as much as I was blown away by how much Boston's game plan worked and how much they were able to execute it. Uh, and it, it also goes to show that Boston can expose weaknesses on the opponent better than almost anybody else can. And, well, I guess there's only three teams left besides them, so you're pretty much down to the teams that can do that. But, that's, I mean, that's what makes Boston so great. It's not that they have amazing talent. It's not that Brad's an amazing coach. It's that they have the perfect balance of all those things where he's able to maximize what they have. He gets more out of his guys than any other coach really gets out of their guys. And he knows how to find the weaknesses of the opponent, and he's really good about covering up his own team's weaknesses. And, uh, I mean, Boston just, they win the game of inches more than almost anybody does, and that's how they get so far. They're... They are an aggregate product. They're not, uh, you know, it's not like LeBron taking over Bills at Cleveland from a mediocre game and they squeeze by Toronto. It's they, it's a they as a collective are able to just push the right buttons at the right time, and that's how they get there. So that allows you to get only so far. But frankly, I don't think they've seen any teams so far that um, are complete enough to really stop them because they're a complete team, even if they don't have the extreme potency that Kyrie and Gordon can give them. They're as well balanced a team as, as that really is only. Three other teams are really only Houston and Golden State are as well balanced as they are. Cleveland isn't, but Cleveland makes up for it because of LeBron and Kevin Love. But uh, this is how far it gets them. If they're going to be Cleveland, it's going to be that they just they didn't take a playoff. They executed their game plan against LeBron to a T. They got lucky, which they've gotten a, a lot of luck so far along the way, but they're going to have to get lucky that Cleveland isn't shooting very well, that Kyle Korver is very up and down, that Kevin Love isn't shooting in rhythm, and that JR disappears. So uh, you put all those things together, and I definitely see them making finals. It's just that you're asking, you're, they're asking for a lot of things to go in their favor for that to happen. And it's overcoming LeBron, who, I mean, I think you, you mentioned they're going to throw a lot of guys at him, and I think that they can talk themselves into guys doing, like, hanging, but I don't, I do not think there's a guy in that roster that I would say can slow down LeBron. That's no slight on guys like Marcus Smart or, or Jalen, but I, I, I don't see that being, like, a, a real thing. I think you have to hope he, he can do it in the end it does, where other stuff gets mucked up and you make LeBron really work, but it, it, it wears people down in other ways, and you can elevate that. I think that's, like, one of the things, like, Indiana – had this really, really good system, and they, they kind of relied on that and, and made a lot of that work. Um, you look at this Boston team. What it, you mentioned, you've mentioned some of the things they do well, but what actual 
advantages you say okay this is something that they are going to be definitely better at than the Cavs in the series that gives them advantage like what do you see as, as things that they can rest their hat on to say okay if, for us to win this is an advantage we have and we need to take advantage of this to, to the fullest degree uh, I think it's their one their defensive consistency is the big advantage that they have and their versatility as well so you know I, I think Cleveland has for a while been able to rest on that they can run a ton of ball screens, especially in the fourth quarter for LeBron, or clear outs for LeBron, and they can end up getting a switch where they have a favorable matchup defensively, and Boston can put out lineups that are pretty resistant to that. So I guess that's, that's probably the first place I would look is what is where does Boston go with their fourth quarter lineups? Do they go with Rozier and Smart out there with Jalen, Jason, and Horford, or do they go Morris instead of Smart? More, if they go with or it could be Morris instead of Rozier even, which I highly doubt they would do just because Rozier is too important offensively. But those lineups can switch pretty much across the board on LeBron. Rozier is the one guy that gets exposed there, and I'll be really interested to see if they try to, let's say like, uh, let's say Rozier is on Corver or J.R. Smith in those situations. If So they're going to probably send in his man to set the screen for LeBron and try to force a switch. Boston's are really creative at pre-switching that. So if they see like Corver cutting out so that they're curling out to the top so he can set the screen for LeBron, they'll switch him early so that Rozier stays off onto somebody else. And then Cleveland is forced to switch LeBron uh, into a pick and roll where he's going into Jalen or Jason. So I think Boston's advantage is being just really, really smart and intricate with their game planning on defense against LeBron. They can do it, I think, better than anybody else in the league can, and they have the personnel to pull it off. They don't have the one guy that you think will be amazing against LeBron, except for Shemi Ojale is the big wild card here. He was really good in most of the time that he was going up against Giannis. They didn't really need him much against Ben Simmons in the Philly series. They're definitely going to need him a lot more against LeBron. He's one of the few guys in the NBA that has a physical profile comparable to LeBron. So if there's anybody that could do it, it's him. If they can manage to stay in single coverage against LeBron, they're going to double him in the post from underneath a few times here or there, and LeBron maybe will be able to pick him apart. But overall, I think they can go pretty much straight at LeBron with the bodies that they have. That, to me, is one of the most interesting parts of this series is going to be how and when Boston does double because where LeBron, as you know, and, and a lot of listeners know, gets most dangerous is when he gets doubled inside. He gets to use that, that vision that he has. And the Cavs are playing these lineups right now where he's surrounded by shooting. The starting lineup that is post is like a, over like 120 offensive rating right now, um, and, it, and it's, you know, f- f- five or whatever games together. It, it's Kevin Love shooting. It's Kyle Korver shooting. It's J.R. Smith shooting. It's, it's George Hill shooting. There's not a, a bad shooter in that lineup. Now you get to some of the other things we've seen where it's, you know, Jeff Green's on the floor and Jordan Clarkson's on the floor. And if Jetty Osman plays, like Jetty Osman's on the floor, Tristan's on the floor, it gets a little bit cramped. But I think, like, there's certain lineups where, like, it'll be, like, a lot easier to double LeBron. And there's certain times where just I think it's too dangerous. Um, I think because I think, like, you know, Kyle Court, for example, if you go back to the, the Toronto series, one one thing that I think, in, especially in Game 4, really tilted things in Cleveland's favor was Kyle Lowry is a good defender, but Kyle Korver is ripping him apart on screen. So who is ever on Korver? Are they going to hang with him on screens? Are they going to hang with JR off, coming off screens? Um, you know, who's and who's who's guarding Kevin Love? Like, and how does Kevin Love factor into this? When when I look at the Cavs, I'll say this real quick. I think the, the besides LeBron, I think the, the Kevin Love should be pretty good in this series. I think he, he's in position to have a good series. This, he's had... 
good tracker, Kurnant Al. Um, I, I think it's a mistake for Boston to play Baines against him. We're gonna. I know you you mentioned to me off air that you think Boston's going to start game one big. I think that plays into what has worked for the Cavs. I think that they're hoping that's the case. Um, I think. I think there are certain matchups Ty is hoping to see, and if it's Baines chasing Kevin Love out, or the pain, and if he has to, or if it's Al or someone, I think that that plays into the Cavs' favor. I think the the, the way they've been able to manipulate space um, has been a big advantage for them, and I think the, I think LeBron in this offense has a ceiling um, that it's delivered. Like I I think about how Boston defended Philly, and they basically were there's these shooters that they were just okay with. You know, not initially coming on as hard. Some of the spaces Philly has with these not as good shooters, maybe that is different against the Cavs, where it's Corver, it's Jr., it's George Hill. Like I, I think there's a little difference there. But I, and I think the Cavs are ceiling. Obviously, I, even with Philly being a little more dynamic and younger, because of LeBron, because of the level he's playing at, I think the Cavs' ceiling is a little higher. And he, he ultimately, when you look at some of the, the advantages Cleveland have, a lot of it does does though come down to him it is sort of LeBron and, and Love and George Hill playing really well but it's LeBron and like a, a, a group of guys versus a, a team that is, is playing very much together in, in a cohesive system under a cohesive I mean, identity so to together. for one I guess with the starting lineup question I think that they start with Baines if Double T is starting and I'm, I, I'm assuming it's going to happen in the so, first round so I think it's going to be something like um I think you're going to see the Cavs. Ty is not. Here's the thing. The listeners uh, of Locked on Cavs will know this, and if you're a Celtics fan listening to this, just know this about Ty Lue. He's not going to tell you what he's going to do until he does it in a game. So if you look at game four of the Raptors series, he said, this is not the game I pull out Rodney Hood. He pulled out Rodney Hood, and uh, obviously the, the incident happened at the end of that game, but you had Jetty Osman end up getting those minutes. Um, he, if he's going to make a starting lineup change, this is not something where he's going to tell the media at his pregame media availability in game one in Boston. He's going to make the decision and just do it and not tell you later. I think they're going to – I personally believe that they're going to stick with their – starting lineup that they've run so that's Hill, Corver, JR, LeBron, uh, Kevin Love. So it's a little smaller and moves really well. It means J it means um, you know JR is probably guarding Jason Tatum to start. If but if things go badly early and let's say Baines it, it's it's just a problem because of the size and, and, and it's po- it's theoretically possible maybe that's when you get Tristan in with love right away and that's where Larry Nance enters in the series but I, I think that that little battle and how these two teams do adjust to each other is going to be kind of interesting because I just it, it seems like the Cavs would be better equipped to to tilt that in their advantage but it's it's I mean it is possible that Boston does tilt it in theirs yeah see what's interesting with Boston their substitution rotations are going to be tricky because let's say they start Baines which you know, when if you start Baines against that small lineup, that's a very push and pull matchup there. Where, uh, especially considering that they've been able to get away with spacing Baines to the corner because he's all of a sudden hitting shots, and that really that was really helpful in pulling Joel Embiid out of the paint against Philly. But let's say he does that, you're pulling Love out of the paint if Love is matched up onto him. That gives Boston a lot of space to attack. Boston early in games, at least against Milwaukee, I don't think they did it much against Philly, but I think we'll see it again. They like to go to their uh, to their pitch post series where they'll run an action. Usually it's a pistol 
where the ball handler comes down the court, gives a DHO to Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, curling over a screen on the short elbow, uh, and then getting the handoff and attacking the lane. They like to open the game with that a lot, but test the defense to see if they're switching early on, and then kind of move on from there. And then they like to run that play a lot. And with that play, they can keep turning it by just keep doing DHO, DHO, going around the pinch post there, seeing when the lane eventually opens up or a corner shooter opens up. So if they start in that big lineup and Cleveland is playing true to the spacing that Baines will provide, apparently, then that opens that up for them in a way that's really, really difficult for Cleveland to stop. And then that might force Cleveland to go big so that they can have more guys down low to stop triple penetration. I mean, Boston just wants to get to the rim as much as possible because the more they get to the rim, the more that forces Cleveland to go big, which really hurts Cleveland's offense and plays into Boston's hands defensively. So I think that's the battle that they're going to wage early on, and they're going to have some success with it. Of course, it really, I mean, it just depends on how engaged LeBron is in the series throughout the game. If he's playing 90% defensive intensity early in the game or throughout the game, I mean, Boston's in huge trouble. But if he's continuing to pace himself, then they're going to have their spots that they can really try to tighten the screws on Cleveland and really take advantage. Because when Boston goes into the fourth quarter in the playoffs, I think they're undefeated. I think they're 8-0. And then they're 0-4 in the games where they go into the fourth quarter without the lead. So they're trying to get into that fourth quarter with their early lead. The Cavs are like have only lost like one game all year, weirdly enough, kind of similarly, that where they've gone into the fourth quarter with the lead. Um, Boston's offense, as you kind of pointed out, I kind of alluded to here, has been off the like off the charts in crunch time. That, that offense has just performed so, so well. Um, Ian Levy over at Nylon Coculus wrote about this. Uh, it's it's just been, I mean, I'm sort of looking for the exact offensive rating here, but it's right now um, in, in a, per 100 possessions in the 27 or so minutes, it's like at 131.6 per 100 possessions. That's that's absurd. That's performing at an insane level. Um, and the Cavs aren't exactly, even in that last series, their defensive rating was still pretty high. It's like 109 or something like that in their sweep at Toronto. So that's, that's certainly a concern. Um, if Boston doesn't start big, if, if they go... You know, Horford of the five. Who do you think is the best fit to join the starting lineup? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it is it Marcus Morris? Who do you think would would join that starting lineup? That's that's a great question. So, uh, and that was going back to what I was going to touch on before. So they like at the six minute mark to bring in uh, Smart and then Morris to come in for usually probably in this series it would be for Tatum and for the big so probably Baines. Um, if they start those guys, they don't get to make that substitution in the middle of the quarter, which really helps them maintain their offensive firepower as they go into the second half of the first quarter. That's a that's the period where they tend to get killed, and they really rely on bringing Smart and Morrison to keep the ball movement going and to make sure that they have guys that can score, uh, which ironically most people assume Marcus Smart's a zero on offense. He misses a lot of shots, but he's a good he's a good pick-and-roll ball handler, and he, he, presents, he gives them a few options. And his defensive intensity creates a lot of transition offense. But so I, I would probably bring in Morris in that case because as into the starting lineup because you well actually you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe smart because he just wants smart's defense on the floor as much as possible. Both Smart and Rozier are really good on lo- at uh, locking and tracking on Corver. They can follow him over screens. They can stay tight on him. They both had a lot of success going up against Redick in the last series. He's a very comfortable player, so 
that they match up well in that, and that allows them, if they want, they can switch off of Corver between those two guys and still have someone out there that can really that can really track him. And that matches up well with, of course, them have, with uh, Cleveland having George Hill out there as well. So they can match they can match up defensively a little bit better there. It means that they're making a sacrifice in their switching ability on LeBron. But I think that they're at least early in the game they're confident in their ability to guard LeBron, which early in the game they're probably going to be in a drop defense against LeBron where they're going to try to send LeBron's man over the screen and have the big drop into the paint to contain dribble penetration from LeBron and force him into mid-range shots, which Toronto had some success with in, I think, games one and two in the last series. So I, I think probably putting Smart out there gives them – gives them the balance that they want defensively early in the game. And then you can bring in Morris to spell one of the guys, Tatum or Brown, that's been defending LeBron for the first half of the quarter and allow him to take on LeBron because I'm assuming LeBron is going to be playing very you know, most of the game in this series. One of the ways the Cavs have, I think, um, had some unexpected success in the playoffs is when they've been able to give LeBron little breaks. If you look at the Indiana series, there's the the games. I think it was Game Seven, um, where Kevin Love hits a three in the fourth quarter, gives LeBron two extra minutes. Yeah, it was Game Seven. That was after you go to the locker room to get some fluids or whatever. Kevin Love hits a three, gets him a little break. Uh, there are points in the Toronto series where Ty had Kevin playing up, not with LeBron on the floor, and to start fourth quarters, LeBron sits a little bit longer. Can the, if the Cavs can maximize those situations? That will be big for them as well, and getting LeBron some rest and, and maximizing kind of what they're hoping to do. Jared, when you look at this Boston team, if they're going to beat the Cavs, if they're going to take down LeBron, who is the, the most important player for that to happen? Who is like the guy in the team you're like, okay, this guy has to be lights out if Boston is going to be Cleveland? I'd say Jalen Brown. Um, you know, of all the guys that have been important, he's the one that's going to have the most responsibility on LeBron. He's really important for them, especially in transition offense. He's been so good in transition this year, and they need him to be making shots. They need him to be an effective spot-up shooter for them to keep the floor stretched. Uh, and he's he's had some huge games so far. He's he's really good dribble penetrating in the half court whenever a lane opens up. He, uh, he gets the ball off of handoffs and attacks very well. He's good cutting on the weak side, but they need him to be able to make threes in crunch time, or really just throughout the game, uh, because... Cleveland, I think, is going to have a good game plan for preventing Terry Rozier from getting a lot of the open threes that he's gotten, where Rozier will come down and transition and just pull up straight into a three and hit it. I think they're going to show some good defensive awareness to take that stuff away. So a lot of the time it's going to come to late shot clock stuff where Jalen has to take the shot, and they need him to make that, and they need him to maintain his energy level because he's in great shape, but he's been dealing with a hamstring strain that really slowed him down. I mean, he had to sit out. Yeah, he sat out game one against Philly, slowly made his way back, and he played great in the Philly series, which was really impressive. But the important thing there was someone someone reported before game five that he went up to his old teammate, Amir Johnson, who plays with the Sixers now, and told him that the hamstring's feeling great now. I don't know if that's true or not, but his, or I mean, he met. I'm sure he said it, but who knows if it actually was true? It really seemed true by the way he was playing. He was no longer hobbling after landing and stuff like that. He thankfully for him, he's gotten several days off here where he can just practice and then get treatment and rest it. So he should come into this series hopefully 100 percent ready to roll against LeBron because he's going to be guarding LeBron probably more than anybody. And LeBron has been able to really take advantage of him in the past in the post. But I think Jalen has made a lot of strides in his on-ball defense on the perimeter and being strong and having good footwork to be able to contain him. So if they're able to 
get LeBron to veer off course when he hits the free throw line and have to, you know, have to either take those amazing fadeaways, which he makes all the time anyway, or have to reset or pass out. That's where the Celtics win the series. On the Cavs side, I think the the most important non-LeBron player and non-Kevin Love player, because I think that's also just like an easy answer, I, I think it's going to be JR or in George Hill. It's kind of a combination, that backward duo with, with George Hill needing to defend Terry Rozier and to use his length to disrupt Rozier attacking the rim and getting to the line and doing what he's done from that point guard spot. And for JR, it's not only does he need to keep hitting threes, but they're going to ask a lot of him on defense. Um, you know, he could see Rozier at times. He's going to, but he's also going to get Jalen Brown. He's going to get Jason Tatum. I think a lot of the series, I think you're going to see Jeff Green on, on Jalen um, and, and Jason as well, more so Jason. But I think you're going to get a lot of JR in these defensive situations. It's a role they, they've asked him to defend DeMar, Oladipo, defend a KD. He's defended Paul George. I think they're going to throw that to him as well. And how the Cavs defend around him and what they decide to do. Well, interesting because Boston, as you as you said, moves the ball really well. Is trapping against Boston, which the Cavs have done a lot of so far, a good idea. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure that's the best situation. Boston's going to move the ball well. They have a lot of good passers, and maybe gets Al Horford involved. Um, well, I'll get your prediction here after this last question. But what do you what are you expecting out of Horford in this series? That that's just kind of the the one thing about this. I'm not quite sure about yet. We know. He has he's been great this year. He but he has also he has this track record of not always playing at his best against Tristan and against Kevin Love. Particularly Tristan has had his had his number the last couple seasons in Atlanta and then in Boston. What are you expecting out of Al? And you and can can Al do anything different that could make him have a good series against this group of players? Yeah, Tristan's a tough matchup because he's physically similar, but he's got even more bounce and more uh, physical aggression to him. So he, I think, I think he bothers Horford more than almost any other player in the game. Uh, I mean, Al, Al Al was tremendous last year, and he he took on a massive burden in that series once. It really just before even Isaiah was out for the series, but uh, he's. I think he's had a little less pressure on him in these playoffs. He put a there's a lot of pressure on him, especially early in the series, to score in the post in crunch time, and we might see that again, uh, depending on how intense Cleveland's perimeter defense is. But uh, they like to mismatch Hunt in the fourth quarter, or if um, I mean, so, if Cleveland switches pick and rolls. We are going to see Boston find creative ways to get Horford in the post on a guard. And then Cleveland has to come double. He's going to fling the ball out. And they're going to find shooters. And that's going to happen really on both sides. I think both these teams are able to do that. But uh, that's where Horford really thrives. And then, of course, against the pick-and-roll blitz, uh, Boston really got it figured out three games, I'd say, into that Philly series where when Philly would blitz them on the pick-and-roll, Horford would slip the screen cut to like the free throw line and they would pass early before the blitz the trap would come in and then Horford would have a three a four on three and they were able to score out of that a lot and they tried that was I think a big part of their game plan last year against Cleveland and it just fell apart because they didn't have the, the horses to run, to run with it they do this time around and I think they're going to want to bait Cleveland in the blitzing so they can get more of that so they're going to run a lot of uh, one five high pick and roll for Horford getting out there, Horford setting the screen 25 feet from the basket or slipping it, trying to draw Cleveland with a double pass a three-point line. 
Boston will try to pass out of it, and they're going to find some open shooters or attack the lane that way. That's how Boston wants to play this series. They know that LeBron is like having two guys out there on the floor, and with the shooting that they have, it's like Cleveland plays with six guys on the floor when they're on off when they're on the floor. So uh, Boston's looking to find ways that they can try to level the playing field there, and that's the way that they can really do it. Uh, and then I guess the other thing they want to try is they got to wear LeBron. They got to find a way to wear LeBron down. They don't want LeBron hiding out in the corner. They don't want him, as Wendy would put it, getting his rest during the games. They want him in the pick and roll. So I think they're going to give the ball to Tatum or Brown, whoever's getting covered by LeBron, and send over Horford or whomever Kevin Love is guarding, run a lot of that 3-5, 4-5 pick and roll, and try to get LeBron switched out, try to get him away from the rim, try to get him just wearing down throughout the game and try to be as engaged as much as possible on defense so that they can just try to make it so he can't conserve all of his energy for the fourth. Because when he's got a head of steam late in the fourth quarter and he's rested for the fourth quarter, he's going to attack a double-team split and throw it down. So they're looking to just use the entire game to slowly chip away at LeBron, and they think they're they're built to do it way better than the other teams that they've faced so far. Because um, Cleveland's been facing teams that have one really vital guy that makes their scoring happen, while Boston's got four of those guys. So Boston, I think, presents... Boston is much harder to game plan for, even if they don't have that one unstoppable score, because they've got four really hard to stop guys. Looking at this series as a whole, uh, we've looked at what Boston's really going to do well, but what is your pick? What is your read on on Cavs Celtics for the second year in a row in the Eastern Conference Finals? I've been leaning towards Cavs in seven so far. It's really tight. I'd go Cavs in eight if I could, just because it's pushing that even a little further. But I'll say Cavs in nine, just to be safe. But um, I I just don't pick against LeBron. Until LeBron – once LeBron retires, maybe then I'll start picking against LeBron. But until then, it's just impossible to do. I still think it's going to be Warriors-Cavs in the finals. But this is – I think both these series are going to go the distance, and every single game is going to be extremely, extremely close. This this should shape up to be one of the most fun conference finals we've had in a while. And now that I say that, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston lose every game by 50 like they did last year just because that's how karma seems to go. Yeah, I am currently leading Cavs in six. I think um, I think LeBron it, right now is just at this level that I don't know how Boston deals with it, frankly. Um, I think Love's going to have a good series. He had a really, really good end to to the, the Toronto series. The last three games he played were his three best games in the playoffs, maybe the best playoff run ever. I'm going to have to really go back and look at that, and I'm going to end in the year, but I think he, he's been great. Um, he looks healthy. George Hill looks healthy. I think those three guys are enough. I'm a little concerned. I think Boston's definitely the deeper team. I think they, they execute better. The, it's funny that the guys that came into Boston on February 11th and stunted on the Celtics really have not worked out um, to, in the playoffs for Rodney Hood's maybe not even in the rotation, but the Cavs <laughs> still have the, the horsepower, to, I think, at the top to kind of get this done this year. It sets up, I think, next year when you look at Philly, you look at Boston, uh, you look at if Milwaukee and Toronto are still figured out some stuff out and whatnot. East is going to get really tight this year, and to, to me, I, it's this still is a Cavs conference, but it's based on LeBron being in Cleveland, and I think like it, it, this would be a very interesting. This would be such an anticipated series, to more level than it is now. I think that if if it, even just Kyrie was healthy, but if imagine the series with Kyrie and Hayward, um, it'd be it'd be freaking fascinating to kind of see these teams this year and at this point in time with the vulnerabilities of the Cavs and what Boston's doing with those that upper echelon talent that can elevate them to that next level. That to me would be hyper fascinating. But maybe maybe we get that next year. But who knows? That's that feels like a bajillion years away, and it kind of is in a lot of ways. 
Well, quick question. Do you think if they had, if the Boston was fully healthy, would they be an overwhelming favorite in this series? I think I would, I'd probably pick them if they had Kyrie and Hayward. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, like Tatum certainly has shined in that vacuum, that hole that's sort of been left there. But uh, I think Hayward and Kyrie both would just cause them problems. I don't know how they 100% deal, like, deal with them to some degree. I think they've raised that talent level. It forces LeBron to be more engaged on defense. Um, it's easier to attack Kevin Love with both of those guys. I think they would be the favorites in the series. I, I think like there's still this LeBron factor that that factors into this because um, it's not like adding Kyrie and Hayward, you know, adds defensive uh, chops to defend LeBron, right? It's not like you're adding Kawhi or, or Paul George or something, but it gives you these offensive talents that raise you to another level. And it, and at that point, you know, I the Cavs like to play in shootouts. It's whether but this team's sort of best equipped to do. But maybe that Boston team, because their weakness, I mean, not really in the playoffs, but in the regular season, was the was the offense. If it, if they had those two guys, maybe there that raises them up, and then they, they cannot like that. Plus, that really good defense would would more things. I think they would be favored, but I think I think again, it sets up knowing like assuming Hayward's back and assuming Kyrie's back fine. Like it's just those two variables in control. And let's say LeBron comes back and the Cavs are sort of the same. I think Boston's probably the the favorite going into the East next year. I think just be, on paper they will be the deepest team with um, guys in their prime. And it depends on how much help LeBron gets and where he ends up. But they it seems like they're in a very good position. This just feels like a like it's this this group and what they're doing right now feels like a tease of like what the, they're going to get their two best players back. And then it sets up just a really interesting run for that group. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to think because, I mean, obviously the vacuum has definitely helped their younger guys grow. But, you know, Rogier, I mean, right now they have four guys that are playing at a borderline all-star level, and then you add two guys that are already all-stars. It's, you know, do they basically have six all-stars on that team? I mean, it's they, they could be pretty insane next year, but who, who knows? And they have to figure out that balance. But, you know, like I've been hammering home in this interview, it's, the Celtics are balanced in every sense of the word. They are balanced with their offensive distribution, with their defensive scheming, with the way that they take, you know, where they, as far as like who the leaders on this team, I mean, they have their veteran guys. But everybody has a level of accountability instilled in them by Stevens that makes them, they're not a very, they're not a real hierarchical structure the way that Cleveland is, which Cleveland is for good reason. LeBron, I think, I, I like the way that things are structured around LeBron despite all the controversies over the years. I think LeBron has proven that when it's done his way, it works. So it's just really a matter of can people play up to his level and live up to his standards. And I think Cleveland right now, they have the balance where they seem to be pulling that off. And, um, I mean, they swept Toronto, but it was still, for the most part, a pretty tight series. And Toronto somehow lost game one and then barely you know, barely lost to those other games. So, I mean, it's, Cleveland isn't this unbelievable juggernaut that just destroys the number one seed. They're a really good team that just outplays up just enough to sweep that series. But I think Boston, based on what I saw out of Toronto against Cleveland and based on what we just saw, saw out of uh, Boston against uh, Philadelphia, I think they're, at a, they're playing at a different level than Toronto was. I think that they're harder. You can't, you can't really take away what they do late in games. Uh, I mean, just forget about the numbers or the, the amazing offensive rating that Boston has. Boston, it's not that they are getting lucky hitting their shots necessarily at the end of the game. It's not that they have like a one go-to thing. It's that whatever the defense gives them, and it's the cliche that they use, but it is really accurate. Whatever the defense is taking away and then leaving them this one thing that they can take, they will take it and they will find a way to make it work. And they've they changed what they do at the 
end of games. They run all sorts of different stuff at the end of games, and it's whatever they can take advantage of, and they do it as well as anybody in the game, and that's how they get to where they are. And they can continue to do that against Cleveland, and I think it's probably going to end up being on, can Cleveland hit some of those amazing threes that they're going to get at some point from Hill, Corver, Love, and all those guys, and then can LeBron have the energy to just enforce his will at the end of games? Yeah, it's worth noting that this Cavs team, I do not think it's a hot take to say that it is not as good <laughs> as last season. It, it's certainly a different group and a different vibe. And this, it's just it's just not no Kyrie lowers your ceiling. Uh, there's there's issues with this group. And we're, I think we're going to I think we're going to see some Boston is equipped to expose some of them and to what degree they can do it. I think we'll, we'll ultimately decide this series. But Jared Weiss, you can find his writing at The Athletic up in Boston, along with uh, Jay King and, and the whole slew of guys over there. You can find him on Twitter at Jared Weiss NBA. Jared, thanks so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, man.